Welcome to Silently Bleeding, Hope for the Pastor's Wife. I'm your host, Jan McIntyre. Today, our special guest is Michelle Jones. Michelle Jones is a professional Christian counselor. She has 20 years experience, and she's going to share her story with us. Let's jump right in. Michelle, what is your story? My story is a story of a marriage that endured a lot of abuse. I was married for about 27 years before I left. And I guess I can start from the very beginning, you know, um, being married very young. I think we were just turning 20 when we got married. And then soon after that, there was a lot of anger from him, more like rage. You know, when you're living in that, that creates a fear in the other person. You're trying to navigate through that anger constantly. And that anger just turned to being very unemotionally available, or I should say emotionally unavailable. It it just went on from there. I oftentimes liken it to abuse. If you put a frog in hot water, it's going to jump right out. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in lukewarm water and then slowly but surely turn up the water to boiling, it won't even know it's being boiled to death until it's dead. That's the best way to describe what this kind of abuse is. It slowly but surely comes on and then it just keeps turning up as the years go on. Before you know it, you're slowly being, I mean, they call it soul murder for a reason, uh, emotional and mental abuse. So you feel like your soul is dying off after a while because of the things that are happening in your marriage. And there was physical abuse as well. There was a lot of aggression. People think that physical abuse is just if you're punched in the face. That's not so. Aggression, you know, even the threat of aggression, even punching a wall next to you is physical abuse. And There were things like that that were happening as well because of his anger and kids were getting it. I was getting it. And outside the home, he was very charming, likable, and he just seemed like this great guy who had it all together. And inside the home, it's not what we saw. That's not what was happening inside the home. There were situations, and I can give one example of physical abuse when I was trying to talk to him about the way in which he's treating everybody and that you can't keep, we can't keep going like this. This can't keep happening. In his anger and rage, just turned around and grabbed my jaw and squeezed so tight he would not let go. And until it it was dislocated. And so I remember falling to the ground. I was in so much pain and him cursing and telling me just to get up in a very angry way. And then just left me there. And so that taught me to be afraid to use my voice, try and speak up and to try and fix the situation, to try and help me and my kids, to try and speak some truth into him. Never wanted to hear it. There was never an apology after that. And I hope that I'm painting a picture of what abuse looks like for some people or for many people. I know dynamics are different, but there's never an apology. But sometimes it's like seemingly apologies happen, meaning he would say, you have to forgive me, but he would never apologize and say, I'm so sorry, or even repent of it, like, which is what we really want is repentance, right? But it was never that. It was always what I had to do. You have to forgive me. And so I would just pick up and move on. You know, I have kids and I'm trying to keep it together for them. And I want them to feel loved in this environment. And so that was my focus and goal. But also 
Jen, is someone like this is constantly raising the bar. There's always a bar to try and attain with a person like this. And every time you think you get there, like, okay, now he's going to be happy because I was able to do this for him. Every time you think you get there, the bar is raised even higher. And so now you're exhausted and you're constantly trying to reach that, you know, that bar. It's not attainable. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So you guys were very involved in your church. Did I understand you to tell me earlier that he at one point even thought he was to be a pastor? He did. At one point, he did felt like he had said that he thought that God was calling him to be a pastor. I was concerned about that because I'm seeing behavior in the home that's not godly at all. But for me, you know, what you hear, and I and I read scripture for myself, but also when you hear and you're trusting your pastor and you hear things about, say, submission, right? You know, submission is oftentimes used against you. And it didn't matter what I thought. It didn't matter what I saw or if I agreed. Obviously, if it really was God, God would prepare me for it. But submission was oftentimes used against me. There were situations in the house where he would bully my son to the point of my son finally, like he would react and then he would be labeled, oh, he's a bad kid. He's a bad kid. And he's not a bad kid. This kid was adorable and loving, but he was creating this person who just had to fight back. And so he would just push and push and push really everyone in the home, but especially my son, he would just push and push constantly until one time my son reacted. And then he had him against the wall by his neck and his feet weren't even touching the ground. And he was screaming in his face. This happened a lot of times. And I would have to wedge my body in between the two of them to keep him away. He would come in my face and say, how dare you do that? You know, you're not being submissive and all of this. And there were times because when you're living in the fog of abuse, you're so confused because you're hearing him say one thing. This is who I am. This is how I want you to see me right? It's like this image they want to paint. And then their actions say the complete opposite of that. And so it causes this confusion, you know, in in a, in a survivor and a victim that you don't know what part, which one to believe at times, you know, it, it got really tricky. And so I would hear him say, you're not being submissive. And I would actually think what I just did wasn't wrong. But yet I would also have this other part of me that would say, gosh, maybe if I'm more submissive, Maybe I'm not being submissive enough. Maybe I'm not X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And then you start challenging yourself to do this. But then being submissive is never a difficult thing for me. It, was, it wasn't a hardship, but yet it was starting to be. And then I started blaming myself. So did you guys go to marriage counseling? Did you talk with your pastor? What did you do? I never brought it up inside the church. I never spoke of it, not even to my closest friends. There was always this part of me that thought, one, I was afraid to. I was afraid people wouldn't believe me because he was so convincing outside. And I was afraid that it would backfire in some way. I also, there was a part of me that was praying so hard and that I wanted to protect him. Looking back, I don't like that I wanted to protect him. But in the moment, I wanted to protect him because I thought, well, if he does change, no one will know about any of this. And he won't have to ever feel any guilt or shame from anybody else. He'll just be able to change. And then we'll just have this great marriage and things and he'll have a heart change and things will be better. So I also wanted to protect him too. And so we went to marital counseling. Hmm, 
trying to think, we may have had two or three marital counselors and it was outside the church. It was Christian marital counseling and marital counseling backfires when you're with an abuser. If I can give any piece of advice, marital counseling is wonderful when there's no abuse and when you're just struggling. But when there is abuse, the abuse has to be dealt with first. It has to be acknowledged and repented of before you can get into counseling with an abuser. Because when you're there, they will manipulate the counselors and counselors, sadly, who don't really know what to look for or recognize in abuse will be easily manipulated by them. And then the things you say, because you're being vulnerable in counseling sessions, will be used against you because now you have this person who is abusive, who wants to use your words against you. He wants to use your struggles, the things that you're sharing against you in some way, throw back in your face and twist things around. And so it's never a good situation. And it's actually what ends up happening is then the counselor and your spouse who's abusing you will usually then gang up on you. And the counselor doesn't even know they're being used, that they're being manipulated. But then it's like all of a sudden you're the problem. And here's the other thing, Jan, too, is you may look like the problem Mm -hmm. because when you're in abuse, sometimes the abuser has a way of just being so calm. They They will do these things to you and in such a calm way and never flinch. Yeah. And so they can sit there with the counselor and just lie and just turn on this mask and this fakeness and they will convince, you know, the counselor. And so so now you're at wit's end because you want you're trying to be heard and now you're reacting to all the abuse and you're emotional and it looks like you're becoming unhinged. So Michelle, I hate to admit this, but before our precious daughter walked through a very similar situation, I didn't understand all of this. I now, (laughs) I really see the manipulation that was going on in her marriage and how he turned everything on her and made her look like she was the bad guy. And he was just so wonderful and caring and loving. And I say that, Michelle, because if I didn't know that, how many more pastors and pastor's wives and people, family members have no clue about this? Right. And- That's the thing. Not many people get the nature of abuse and what it looks like. So we can get bruises. We get physical abuse. That's an obvious thing, right? Mm -hmm. But to get this covert abuse is different. The mental and emotional and what that looks like. It's not known. And I will tell you that the in the support groups that I'm in, the thousands of women of the in the support groups, it's like they're abu- like our abusers all read the same book because while we have the, like dynamics are different, they all do the same. We all have such similar experiences. The same things have happened to us, the way things are turned on us, the gaslighting, just the way everything is our fault and the way that they will switch things to be the victim every single time. We all have the same. It's like we all have the same stories. They're different, but they're so similar, you know? And so, yeah, so it's a blessing to be able to be in these groups with people who get it because many people don't get it. You're right. They don't know these signs. They don't know what it looks like. 
I want to stop right here for just a moment and say, Michelle has 20 years experience as a professional Christian counselor, and we are going to be doing a second interview with Michelle, where she is going to talk to us as pastor's wives, what gaslighting is and spiritual bypassing and all these things. She's going to help us understand because when we know better, we do better. I just wanted to put that out there so you guys can look forward to learning from Michelle, who has not only walk this difficult path and is a professional counselor that can help us know how to best love on people in our church that are walking through situations that we just don't even imagine. Michelle, for that precious woman that's watching right now, and she's thinking, wow, Michelle, you're reading my mail. You're telling my story. What encouraging word do you have for her today? I would say to speak up, I would say, do not stay silent and find someone that you can trust. And I'm hoping that we all have at least one person in our life that we can speak up to. I wish I could say, of course, go to your church and and go to your pastor. But sadly, many women, and I'm telling you, thousands of women in those support groups have done that. And the second wave of abuse comes when they're now abused by their church meaning they're not believed and their spiritual abuse is where they use scripture to keep you in line or to try to control you or to shame you. And not being believed when you finally speak up is absolutely, absolutely heartbreaking. And for me, that second wave when not being believed was worse than my the marriage and my abuse. And the marriage and my abuse was pretty bad. So bad that when I went to a trauma-informed counselor, she told me she had 30 years of experience working with trauma victims. And she said that there are some courts, some judges in certain states that will actually give compensation to these victims for what they've been through. When I told her my story, she said, you've been through war. And I laughed a little bit and I said, yeah, definitely. She's like, no, Michelle, you should have received compensation for that. You've been through war. It was the first time that someone actually heard my story and validate it. It was really tough. It was a hard marriage. No, this was war. And that she said my case would have been one of the cases that a judge would have um, awarded compensation for because of the abuse and the war zone that me and my kids lived in. So what gave you the courage to finally say enough is enough? What what was that final thing that you said, "I'm, I'm done? Well, it started when he started laying hands on my son and when he was aggressive. That's when I said, this can't keep happening. I didn't know what to do and I felt stuck. Like I wasn't sure what to do. As many women feel that, what do I do? Especially when you've been home with your kids, raising your kids and you've been out of the workforce your entire adult life. You start to think about all of these things about what what your options are. But for me, the last argument we got into, I addressed something and he flipped his lid we started arguing. The verbal abuse came. And I remember just covering my ears going, stop, stop, stop. I couldn't hear anymore. And I tried to walk away from him. I couldn't hear it. He would say things like, you're a counselor and you can't even get this right. And just constant verbal abuse. And so I walked away and he followed me down there. But as he was raging, angry, and I was scared to death, I turned around as he was walking towards me and I pushed him away. And he came at me full force, had his arm across my throat until I was choking and I couldn't breathe. And that's when I said, I have to get out of here. And so my daughter at the time, my oldest daughter was 26 and she wanted no parts of her father. She saw all of this. She lived it with the mental abuse. And I called her and I said, can you meet me somewhere? Because she was out and she met me and I was having a nervous breakdown and I told her what happened. And she said, 
you have to go. You just can't keep happening. And I said, yep, I have to go. When I went home after that, I was having a nervous breakdown. Actually, I was losing chunks of my hair and I lost the ability to speak for about two, three days. I could not get words out of my mouth to speak. And I just sat in my bed and rocked. And I couldn't even make a move to leave, even if I wanted to at that point. It wasn't until a dear friend texted me. She was not close to me. She knew nothing about my life. We just were friends, but not close. And she texted me out of nowhere and she said, are you okay? And I just thought, I looked down and I thought, well, this has to be from God because why is she asking me this? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, I was sitting here and God laid you on my heart. And he said, she can't muster up a word. That's what she heard in her heart. And I I said to her, I can't speak. I told her I can't speak. And and my this is what's happening. And she said, let's meet up. So she came and picked me up, took me to a park. And then I told my whole story. And she has walked this out with me. It's been three years ever since then. These are the things that God did for me though, Jen. You know, he was started sending people that came out of the woodwork, it felt, to aid me. And he walked me out. So when people think you should have never left, listen, I am a cheerleader for marriage. I, struggling marriages, God can do anything, right? But in abuse, the heart that he has for his children, for his daughters, I learned this because I couldn't escape him even if I wanted to. He was was so good to me when it was time for me to go. Yeah, I could not escape God even if I wanted to. He was just everywhere I turned and just kept lighting up the next step for me to take. Yeah, so so that's really the end for me was when I knew this isn't okay anymore. Here's the thing though. Maybe months before this happened, he was at a conference. He came back and he said he was a changed person. He was changed because God spoke to him. God showed him that he does not have a contrite heart. And so that he he sees his arrogance. And I remember saying to him, so are you recognizing the abuse? And his whole body, he was sitting next to me, his whole body tensed and he was quiet. I looked at him and I said, are you talking about abuse as well? And he said, no. And I went, okay. And he said, I'm telling you, my heart has changed and you're going to see it. And I thought, you said that to me a million times. It's different this time, It's but it's different this time. And it would last a month, maybe two months, maybe just three weeks. And then it would go right back. And so I didn't believe him. And he said, you're going to see. And he made a good go of it for a few months. But there were things that were happening that were exactly the same. I knew in my head, well, maybe he is starting to change. Maybe because uh, I know change can take time. So I was showing him some grace. A counselor was telling us, listen, he says that he has no self-awareness. He has no idea what he's doing. He has no self-awareness. Only way that I see that's going to help him is if you help him to be self-aware. And I said, but you don't understand. That's what's got me here. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here because I've tried to help him to see for 27 years and he won't hear it from me. She looked at him and she said, are you willing this time? Are you willing to have her tell you when you're gaslighting her, when you're when you're being verbally abusive or when you're being aggressive? And he said, yes, she absolutely. And I went, okay, I guess we're going to try this again. And so I would gently go up into him and say, when he would be gaslighting, if he just gaslit his daughter and I went up to him privately and I said, listen, what just happened was gaslighting. You just gaslit her and I tried to explain it. And he would go, oh, did I do that? And I said, yes, you did do that. And he would say, okay, but then it would happen again. And I would say, 
okay, listen, what just happened? And he would go, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And and I was right back to, you don't know you're talking about. That's not what happened. You're crazy. And all of these things. And I would just feel like I wanted to bang my head up against the wall. And so we started to argue one time and I said, but I'm trying to help you be self-aware. Like this was like our, the last year I was there was I'm trying to help you be self-aware. Everything that's happened to me, Jen, there were some really chilling things and awful things that I saw. But this was the most chilling out of all of them. He turned around and he said to me, I'm more self-aware than you think I am. Mm-hmm. And he had this little grin on his face. And then he turned around and walked away. And yeah. I'll never forget that, John. There's many things that I can't remember because my brain, I think our brain, you know, protects us from certain things. I'll never forget it because I'll never forget being frozen in my spot, not being able to move after that because it was so chilling what I just heard. And so that told me everything. He knew exactly what he was doing. Well, I'm so, so sorry for you and so many other women that you've walked through it. And and still, I would imagine you're finding healing from all those years of abuse and hurt. And it just breaks my heart. But I'm so grateful for women of God like you, Michelle, who's saying enough is enough. And God, if you can use my voice, my brokenness to make a difference in other women's lives, you can use me. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I look forward to doing our next interview soon where you are going to help us as pastors and pastor's wives understand what abuse really looks like living with an abuser and all those things. So we'll talk about that soon. Thank you so much. I will leave our email address and you're welcome to reach out. I will be praying for you. I will email you back and please know you are not alone. God sees you. He loves you. And I think he wants you to know it's time to break the silence. God bless my friends.